Good morning. Oh, it is so, so good to be with you this morning. My name is David Rubio. Now, I realized when we sent the children out for kids' worship, I may have forgotten to tell you that this was a sermon on circumcision. This feels like a real missed opportunity for those young ones. Uh, I can't believe we did that. I should have said something. Um, my name is David Rubio, and just a word about me, you know, many of you do not know me at all. I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. As a young lad, I grew up at the White Station Church of Christ in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, in, in early high school, I went through my modeling phase. I, I, uh, my modeling career began and ended with this photo. I... I like to say that the photographer uh, told me to do this, but I honestly think I just thought when you wanted to look really cool, you grabbed a branch with flowers and, and nodded forward thoughtfully. Not long after that, I went through my mustache phase. This is me as a senior in high school. And this was one of the one times that I grew a mustache and wore it in public. I actually, uh, the, the mustache was an attempt uh, to get a girlfriend to break up with me. So that was the point of it. If you're, if you're thinking, why in the world? He's not a mustache guy. And some of us have it. You know, some of you are mustache people. Some of us aren't. I was not. I'm going through my grizz phase currently. So I've lived in Nashville now almost 20 years. Uh, this, is, this is me and a friend at last year's playoff game versus the uh, Timberwolves. Amazing moment. My family of origin, I grew up with three uh, sons and, and a mom and dad. The five of us, these are my two brothers, uh, Greg and Seth over on, on your left, and then my mom and dad, Ron and Susan. My dad taught math and coached cross country for about 46 years at Harding Academy, which is a Church of Christ school in Memphis. Um, and we, we grew up in a home with two bedrooms and one bathroom. That is a true story. Uh, this is my family now, and we have two bathrooms. So, uh, it's a good, this is a good picture, isn't it? Brad, this is my favorite picture. Because I like to say everyone should have a, a picture where someone is looking at them the way my wife is looking at me here. And of course, you might could guess that the photographer said something along the lines of, ooh, I like that. Keep your hand on his face and look at him. But he didn't tell her to be in love with me. <laughs> She did that on her own. And that's why I love this picture. Uh, I probably love it a little more than my kids do. <laughs> um, now, I'm a youth minister. I work here in town. I've been in youth ministry ever since I graduated college. So from June 1st of 1995, I've been doing youth ministry. And you, in youth ministry, we do a lot of things. Uh, I get to coach basketball. I get to coach uh, flag football. These are a couple of pictures of, of Otter Creek teams that won championships. I will say that one of the most bitter defeats in my flag football career came at the hands of Fourth Avenue a few years ago. It was a hard, it was a hard, it was a very difficult moment for me. But except, I will say this, it, I, I loved, I've always loved playing the, the Fourth Avenue, the, the, your flag football teams. They, you fight hard, but you play with a good spirit. So, you know, I don't like to lose, but I like to lose to Fourth Avenue 
more than some others because we, we, it feels like we're friends out there. It feels like we're sisters and brothers on the flag football field. Um, so I also get to do, uh, I get to take students away from the distractions of home and get them on trips. Uh, this is a mystery trip. The students signed up for that. They did not know where they were going. I, I was the only one that knew where we were headed. And we ended up at the Cane Ridge Meeting House in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, the birthplace of the Stone Campbell Movement. And it was one of the most exciting moments of my life. And I know we all found it extremely exciting. <laughs> when the students realized that they were at the Stone Campbell birthplace... We visited the tomb, uh, the gravestone of Barton W. Stone, amazing moment in their lives. Now this next picture, ironically, is another mystery trip. Now I forgot that the McKinney's attend church here, and so you'll see your grandkids in this photo. This was about a decade ago. Friday afternoon, the youth group loaded up in the, in the bus and headed out. They had no idea where they were going. Their parents had no idea where they were going. And when we left, I collected all their phones, and my, my administrative assistant handed out packets of information to the parents to let them know what we were doing for the weekend. We ended up in Key West. It was a weekend trip to Key West, I kid you not. We got there about 10.30 p.m. on Saturday. This was su uh, Sunday morning. We went to the southernmost point in the contiguous 48 U.S. states. We, and, then, and then we proceeded to go snorkeling in a storm. What you don't see here is all these smiling faces. Half of them were vomiting just about two and a half hours later. We got back on the bus at noon and drove home, got home Monday evening. And I love this trip because these students had no idea what was happening, they, but they were together. And this is a picture of church. You know, we don't know where we're going. We don't know what God is doing, we, but we get on the bus together and, and we go together and we find out on the journey. And I love getting to spend time with students on trips like this. This is a picture that I love, a young man who is beginning college this week, who has spent seven years in the OCYG, the youth group that I work with. and and. Whether we go to the mission field or, or, or like I mentioned, you know, Key West or, or this picture is Moab, Utah. This is Canyonlands National Park at the Grand View Overlook. Perhaps some of you have been there. We're in the desert. And that young man is catching a glimpse of God that we hope will last a lifetime. And it's a picture of God that he, he can't get here. Not, not this picture. And what we hope is that this picture lands in his heart and stays there for the rest of his life. Because what we're trying to do, not just at Otter Creek where I work, but in every church like 4th Avenue, is raise students to faith that lasts a lifetime. We want lifelong followers of Jesus. And this next picture is, is where uh, this same student I showed you a little bit later in the summer the last trip uh, that he went on with our youth ministry was to the beach. We take our graduates and, and we take them with current college students who are two or three years down the road who also graduated from our youth ministry. We go to the beach together and, and while we celebrate God's creation and God's power, we imagine a future where they are going to encounter struggles to their faith. 
and we have conversations about what it looks like to try and be a Jesus person in a world that doesn't always celebrate Jesus people. And of course, I get to be there when students like Cole say, I want to follow that guy. I want to follow Jesus with the rest of my life. And we get to have conversations about what, what's going to change, about what's going to be different, about what it means to have a Savior like Jesus, and what it means to have a Lord like Jesus. And I love what I do, and I know you've got people that do that too. Interestingly, one of the things I love about being at Fourth Avenue this morning is I get to go to church with Nikki Fox. And I have loved, you, you guys have a reputation for choosing amazing youth ministers, and I'm thankful this morning to get a chance to be here. Um, I, I, get a ch- I, w- I wish I could go around the room and just tell you about even, even the things this morning that I've realized, the connections in this place. And we shouldn't be surprised that we have them. Because we're in the same family, and we, and we meet for our Sunday meal in different places, but I'm your brother too, and you are my brothers and my sisters. So it shouldn't surprise us that I went to college with and were introduced to my wife by some of your nieces and nephews. <laughs> It shouldn't be surprising that I used to go to church with a few of you or or that I've traveled to Wyoming and Moab and Key West with your daughter and your grandkids or played flag football or, or had your nieces in my youth group. Those kinds of things shouldn't be surprising. I wish I could tell you about all of them. I wish I could tell you about the inside joke that Brad and I have. We live in the same neighborhood, and I came home one day, and I saw some balloons that said, it's a boy, on my mailbox, and there had been no boy. I mean, we had a son. He was about 12 years old at the time, and I looked at Becky, and I said, is this the Webbs? I mean, who did this? We we were thinking about all the people who live in our neighborhood that might have thought it would be funny, and we didn't know. So, you know, a year goes by, and more balloons show up. This time, it's a girl. And I'm like, Becky, and this is him. <laughs> it was Brad. It was your precious Brad Schrader. And we, and we, and, and he came by. So he came by. He walks in our neighborhood, and we walk in his neighborhood. So sometimes we'll see each other walking. And one day Brad came by, and he was saying, "It's a boy! It's a boy!" And we were like. It was Brad. It was Brad Schrader. And so every time we see each other now, no matter where it is, including this morning when I walked in, we say, it's a boy. It's a girl. And I'm so thankful for that. And in, in fact, when, uh, when his sister-in-law got pregnant, we returned the favor on Brad's mailbox. So I wish I had time to tell you about that. Now Catherine is realizing why I usually go long. I, I, I warned her that I would. I, you know, the final thing I'll say is that I've gotten a chance, our family, to connect with uh, your new preacher, Kyle, and his wife, Abby. And we are Dingus fans. We are so, so, I mean, we loved the name Dingus long before we knew that, that Kyle and Abby were people that we would fall in love with. But we love you. We're thankful that God has called you here. We're, we're excited for what you're going to experience, and we love them dearly. I get to preach to you this morning from Galatians chapter 5. I, when I was asked to preach, I said, you know, any, any specific thing, 
nope, you preach on whatever you want to. So you're getting a Hall of Fame chapter for me. Galatians 5 is one of my very favorites. I don't believe I've ever preached on this chapter, so I'm extremely excited about that this morning. There are several things about Galatians 5 that excite me. One is that it's one of Paul's earliest letters. It may be his earliest letter. I just love that. I geek out on stuff like that, how we know that Paul wrote these things and when they were written and, and to whom and for what reason. And so it excites me that this is one of the earliest. Thousands of years ago, this, this, book was, this letter was written. Now it was written to someone else, right? And, and it was happening at a time we can't truly understand. We can try, but it gets so exciting to think on. Another reason that I love Galatians chapter 5 is the subject matter. Paul is talking about freedom. He makes that obvious at the beginning, and then he continues that through the chapter. And it's not the first time in Galatians that he mentions freedom. The context of, of Galatians, the letter, is a messy one. Paul had started a church, and that church knew that it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. At least he thought it did. But a little bit later, as Paul was on, you know, one of his journeys, starting other churches and impacting the kingdom elsewhere, some other Christians came in. And they said, yes, 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 freedom, but. And they started preaching a kind of have-to gospel, developing a kind of have-to religion. Paul's not a have-to kind of guy, at least not the Paul that wrote this letter to the Galatians. Paul's a fan of the get-to church, the get-to religion. And, and we're going to hear it in a moment. We're going to read the entire, entire chapter together. My best friend in high school grew up in a get-to kind of church. It wasn't a church of Christ. So when he came in middle school to a church of Christ middle school, the, the school where I went, he began getting hit by the have-to stuff by his friends who found out that he had been sprinkled as an infant and then confirmed at the age of 12. Now, you know, as a thoughtful 12-year-old in his church context, he requested to be re-baptized, to be re-sprinkled because he wanted it to be his decision to follow Jesus. But in my school, my Church of Christ school, that wasn't enough for, for some of us. I grew up at a time when, it, when, when the what do you have to do to go to heaven was the thing we talked about. Well, that was our hobby. Well, you know, we were done with everything. And, and in Memphis, you had basketball season. And then, but then football season, you had to find something else to talk about. If you were a Memphis Tiger fan, those days have changed. But at the time, you had to find something else to talk about. And, and we talked about what do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to go to heaven? And, and, and you know, we mistreated my best friend along the lines of a kind of religion that Paul is saying, uh-uh-uh-uh. I love that about Galatians 5. I love the connection to Acts 15. Now, scholars don't know exactly when in relation to Acts 15 Galatians was written, and I'm talking not the writing of Acts 15, but the, the occurrence in Acts 15. And most of you probably know that Acts 15 is the Jerusalem Council 
that settles this matter once and for all for the church. But I love the connection here because I believe, and, and I think most scholars do too, that if the Jerusalem Council had occurred before the writing of this letter and before the spiritual malpractice that had been occurring by the Judaizers in the church at Galatia, Paul would have said so. He would have mentioned it in this letter. But he doesn't. I think this is the amazing movie that needed the sequel that we get in Acts chapter 15. I love that. I think that's incredible. That we're watching Paul wrestle with other Christians. These are people who call themselves Jesus followers and they are going at it in Galatia with that precious church and those precious people. And we don't know how it ends if we don't have Acts chapter 15. I love that. I love that it's flesh versus spirit. And I love that the lists that we get in Galatians 5 have a kind of you'll know it when you see it quality. I was like, you, you, you're gonna, you, we don't have to guess about it. You're going to know when you see the works of the flesh. They're obvious. And here are the fruits that the Spirit produces in the life. And I love Galatians 5 because it's got some surprises in it. And I'm a fan of surprises. You might have guessed that by the fact that I take students on mystery trips. But I do. I like change. I like to be surprised. I like to find myself outside of my comfort zone. Now, thankfully, you've been laughing at all the appropriate points this morning, which tells me about your sense of humor. Sometimes I go places that they don't have a good sense of humor, and I know that because they don't laugh at me. <laughs> See? <laughs> you did it. But I like to be out of my comfort zone, and I enjoy it when people stare at me like, why did we ask this guy to preach to us? I'm a seven on the Enneagram, and I enjoy that. And as we read, you may find things in this chapter that you did not expect. Yeah. <laughs> things are moving along nicely, and then you're going to hear something that hits you upside the head. <laughs> um, some things that appear to come out of nowhere. Or for you, excitement may turn to discomfort in a moment. <laughs> and as longtime Christians will do from time to time, you may think you know where things are headed, but actually you don't know. Yeah, and that's Galatians 5. So let's read the chapter together. I'm going to pull out my glasses, and you can read it, uh, pull out your Bibles. I don't think we're going to show it all on the screens. Um, I'm a fan of the real Bibles, like paper Bibles, because I like to write in the margins. You know, it, it, was, it was, you know, August 21st, 2nd, what's today? 21st. I remember August 21st, Galatians 5, we had a sermon. The guy was weird. I like to write stuff like that. So here's Galatians 5, and we'll read it together. It is for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. 
Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. And again, I declare to every person who lets himself be circumcised, he is now obligated to obey the entire law. So you who are trying to be justified by law, have you been alienated from Christ? Yes, you have fallen away from grace. But, the, but by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value at all. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. And as for the agitators, well, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You brothers and sisters were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature but instead serve one another in love the entire law is summed up in a single command love your neighbor as yourself if you keep on biting and devouring each other watch out or you will be destroyed by each other and so I say live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit desires what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with one another, so that you do not do what you want. But, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, faction, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I have before, that people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against things like this there is no law those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires and since we live by the Spirit let us keep in step with the Spirit let us not become conceited provoking and envying each other the word of the Lord and did you, did you catch the surprising moments? I tell you, Paul, that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. If you follow the have-to route, that, you know, later he says neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. He, he's not preaching uncircumcision here. He's saying, no, no, if you take the have-to route, the blessings of the Jesus way, 
you don't get them. You won't get them. You know, we, I read Christ has no value and it's like, wait, what? I'm going to try and get my head around this because I grew up thinking Christ was the only thing. And I actually thought Paul was only Christ and him crucified. How could it have no value for anyone? I think what Paul is saying is you're not going to receive the blessing. It's like a gift card. It's like a gift card to Stony River. I mean, that thing, that thing is worth something. Unless you never go to Stony River. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. The only thing? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Does this sound like the Paul of 1 Corinthians 13? You bet it does. So all of the life groups and the Christian book clubs and the Bible studies, the winning of the arguments, the church attendance, the serving the poor, the praying for one another, and the, the giving of our tithes and offerings. All of the not sinning. Meaningless. For Paul. I, I really think it's all meaningless. If it isn't faith expressing itself in love. You know, so if you're here this morning because you have to. I think the Paul who wrote Galatians 5 I think is saying. I, I don't know why you're here. If you're helping people so that you can do anything other than love, I, I think Paul is saying, come on, come on, come on over to the other side. <laughs> because there's a way to do all those things I just mentioned out of love and for love and with love. Which kind of starts to sound like Philippians 4.13, Paul, right? I can do all things through the Christ who powers me. The way we go about it matters to the Paul of, of, of Galatians chapter 5. And these are all the things I was taught to just do. Paul says, you're not just doing any of it. This is faith expressing itself in love. Um, the, the emasculate themselves thing. I, you know, I'd like to think Paul is joking. I'd like to think that this is him writing with a, you know, a, a, a forked tongue or a giggle behind his pen. But you read the book of Galatians and I don't think he is. And he's using a word here. You know, emasculate kind of gives the take away the manliness the Greek word is the same word used in Mark chapter 9 when Jesus says cut the hand off if it's causing you to sin cut the foot off it's the same word that's used in Acts chapter 27 when the when the soldiers use knives to cut the ropes and allow the boat to drift away John uses this same word in John chapter 18 two times to refer to what happens to Malchus's ear. I think Paul's serious. And it's surprising how serious for a guy who moments later will describe the fruit of the Spirit the way he does. Because it is really hard to find this kind of language and this kind of feeling toward another person in the fruit of the Spirit. And I started, I, this week I was like, it's got to be there, doesn't it? Because this can't be a work of the flesh, can it? it, it, it is, Paul's not promoting faction here. Surely, he's not creating division in the body of Christ. Surely this is not a fit of rage. I started thinking, 
What's happening here must be self-control. What must Paul want to say to them? <laughs> He's mad. And I think, I think sometimes we need to be reminded that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control don't mean nice. Nice isn't one of them. Paul's not happy. There's an enemy in the house. Did you notice the entire law? Did you, did you catch it? It's summed up in a single command. Now Paul surely knows that Jesus summed it up in two commands. What's the greatest well, the greatest command, according to Jesus, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I imagine the Judaizers were preaching exactly that gospel. And my guess is that the origin of this single command adjustment for Paul, which is shocking, the Shema gets cut out by a Jew. Paul is a Jew. And, and, and he just blew right through the Shema without any mention of it. And I think the Judaizers were using the Shema to say, if you really loved God, you would be circumcised. I'm not just saying, if you really love God. Well, that's, a, that's spiritual malpractice, that's spiritual bullying. For Paul, it's unacceptable. Paul says that that kind of teaching, that kind of thinking, that kind of life does not come from the one who called you to all of this. That's not the way God works. God's love is, is not a tool that he uses to get what he wants. We know that God sends love like the rain and the sun. And we all get it. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, that's who you're supposed to be like. The unrighteous get it too. And so I think you know, Paul, Paul is here is saying, if you know what? If somebody's telling you that loving God equals hurting yourself, I don't think so. If somebody is trying to teach you that loving God equals a yoke of slavery... I trust you won't listen to them. No, the love of God, the, 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 the law of God can be uh, summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then finally, if you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the sinful nature. That's amazing. That's the kind of thing I like to tell these students when they, when, like Cole, who gets baptized, you know, to say... Sometimes students will think that when they get baptized, when they choose Jesus, that, that, that they, they don't understand what's coming next. And what's coming next is not the eradication of all desires of the flesh. So, I, I, I love to point this out. This is a moment where I will stop with students and I will say, here's your superpower. This is your superpower. And we, I love to talk about superpowers with students. It, it, it's, it's culturally, you know, relevant. It matters. 
know, being able to take the Bible, this thing called theology, and connect it to a real life. And this morning, I think we can all benefit from this. Moments where you say, in the real world, you can take this book right here that was written 2,000 years ago, and you can use it to change the world, to, to change yourself. And here Paul is saying, yes, the fruit of the Spirit, it, it means something. It means, you know, when we see joy, it, that means that, that God's fruit is in your life, that God's work is happening and it's spilling out into the world. When we see gentleness, when we see self-control, when we see love in you, it's proof that God is at work in you through his Holy Spirit. But it also appears to do something for Paul. Where Paul says, if, if this is the way you live, if you're exhibiting the, the love and the joy and the peace and the self-control and the gentleness, and if, if you're doing these things, and I'll stop on kindness, because it's just gloriously easy. Let me rephrase that. It's gloriously simple. It's not always easy to be kind, but it is simple to be kind. And if you say, you know, if you are kind, you will not gratify. You will not gratify. Not, not, it's not that you won't be tempted to gratify. And it's not that you won't experience. And I find it quite reassuring to read from Christians 2,000 years ago who said, uh, sinful desires are there and they're real and I feel them. And that's what happened. Paul, Peter, these guys who were teaching and leading and mentoring new churches, starting these churches, they openly talked about the sin, that, the temptation that they experienced. The desires of the flesh that war against my soul, I think is how Peter puts it in his, his, the first Peter letter. And that's real. And Paul is saying, you know what, you want to beat that? And I suspect you do. I suspect there's not a person here that woke up this morning thinking, I I'm going to destroy my life by giving in to the sins of you know, the fleshly nature. Everybody here wants to beat this stuff. You, you, you want to do battle and win. And Paul is saying, kindness will do it. If you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the sins or, or the, the sinful nature. The desires of the sinful nature. You'll be too busy making the world a better place by sharing fruit of the Spirit. There will be no time. So this is what I tell students. I say, yes, I want to go to camp with you and we're going to play flag games and we're going to worship together and we're going to study the Bible and, 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 and I, I, want you, I want you to consider this person Jesus as a trustable you know, leader and I want you to make a decision to follow him for the rest of your life and I hope you get baptized and I want all of your friends there and I want your family there to see it. And, and I want to spend our school year together talking about how you can be, you know, God's man or God's woman in your school. But what I really want is for you to follow him for a lifetime. You know, as a youth minister, that's not something I get to see. You know, sometimes I have a relationship with students that leave my ministry. But most of the time I see students when they come in in sixth grade and we cheer and we go bonkers and we do the transition ceremony. And then we wave goodbye when they're, they're headed off to what's next. Whether that's trade school or college or the military or, or, or a job. 
what I'm hoping, I always tell them, what I'm hoping for you is lifelong discipleship that exhibits the fruit of the Spirit for, for decades to come. And so four years, and Joy Emerson, who is out here, knows where I'm going with this because she's heard me say this before. For years, since 2014, I have been giving our students at Otter Creek a picture of what that looks like, a, a vision. I'm a big believer that vision creates the energy necessary to accomplish a mission. Change in the world, that's a big mission. That's hard to do. But if you catch a glimpse of what's possible, if you can see that future in your mind's eye, then it can create that energy to go do it. If, if, if you believe that the current, I'm just, just a current illustration, if you believe that our current political mess in this country isn't the way it has to be, and you can imagine in your mind a future where, where two parties can strongly disagree but genuinely believe that the other party doesn't want to ruin our country. It, that, that, I like to believe that there's a future where that's possible. But I need to see that in my mind's eye. Because when I go through the world, it feels like we can't get there. I don't know what that looks like. I need to figure that out in my head. I wish somebody could give me a picture of it. And then that picture of a beautiful future in our country where, where people who disagree can love one another still and recognize that the disagreement comes not from a desire to destroy everything or, or to destroy me, but people disagree. It, that's a future we need. And I think to get there, we're going to need a, a strong imagination a strong vision of a, of a future. So I try to give students in our ministry a strong picture of what their future looks like. And for me, for, since 2014, that's been Daryl Emerson. And, and so Daryl Emerson went with our youth group uh, in 2014 to Mexico. We, we go on a mission trip to Mexico every year, and Daryl came to me and he said, can I go with Actually, a couple of years prior, he had come to me and said, can I go to Africa with you? And that trip ended up not happening but Daryl, at the time that we went to Mexico, was, was, was sick. He was fighting cancer. And, and I knew that. I was like, Daryl, do you think, you know, let's talk about it. I, I really wanted him to go, but I wanted him to be okay, too. And, man, that guy was remarkable. I mean, just absolutely astonishing. And I know many of you know and remember Daryl well. And for years, you know, at Otter Creek, we were blessed to have the Emersons with us for, for a time. We, we won the Emerson sweepstakes for, for a few years there, the Daryl and Joy Emerson sweepstakes. Um, and Daryl gave us a picture of what it means to be the fruit of the Spirit encased in the flesh. All eight, all eight, all of them, or maybe it's nine, nine fruits. Every single one of them in one person. It's unbelievable. And so I'm going to show you, and I, I, Joy, have you, you've seen this video, I know, and, and, and I, want, I wanted you to see it. Because we went to Mexico, and we divided up in all these teams, and we had some people doing games with students, and we had p some people teaching public speaking to these children that were, were, you know, had never learned how to stand in front and speak. And we had a dance team. They were choreographing a dance with the young Mexican children, uh, and the, the song was one, uh, it, was, it was the best song ever by One Direction. And Daryl was like, I want to be on the dance team. <laughs> we were like, Daryl, are you sure you want to be on the dance team? And he's like, yes, I want to be on the dance team. 
choreography, that, that's right down my alley. So you will see Daryl on the dance team here in this video in the background. And, 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 and this is the embodiment of the fruits of the Spirit that I show every year to our sixth graders and their parents as I say, this is what we're hoping for. So roll, the, roll that for me, this video. And he's about a half second late on most of the moves. <laughs> it's amazing. So the, the 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 Otter Creek youth groupers are serving children younger than them in a in a foreign country. And behind them is, is Daryl Emerson, who just wanted to go serve. He's, wear, he's wearing a, a T-shirt, that, you know, for, for another mission organization that works in Kenya for street children who've been rescued from the streets. And, you know, this is the, this is the picture. You know, so I wanted this morning to show you. I was talking to Joy about this um, a, a while back. I've showed this before at Otter Creek, of course, in a plenary assembly like this. And I just... I would like to find a sermon where Daryl Emerson wouldn't fit in somehow. You know, it just so happens that he's the embodiment of the fruits of the Spirit. But I imagine there's not a sermon you could preach where you couldn't say, by the way, that's Daryl Emerson. Um, what excites me is that the students growing up in this church, they're part of this children's ministry and this youth ministry, they're being born into this congregation. You know, I, don't, I don't know who you are. And I know who Joy Emerson is, so I know you've got a picture of faithful faithfulness through a lifetime of following Jesus in joy. But I love to look at it, those of you that I don't know, and to think about the men and the women who have spent lives following in the footsteps of Jesus. The, the get-to Savior. The Savior who says, you're, you're free. And if, if you want to follow me, just watch what happens when, when we love. And that's where we're going to finish today. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we, we, we will be done. Lord, I thank you for, of course, Daryl, and the, this vision that um, we get to have of, of what it looks like when the fruit of the Spirit has invaded the life of a person and the life of a church. I thank you for these words that are thousands of years old, for, the, for, for, this, for this message of freedom. God, I thank you for the possibility of get-to life that you call us to. And I, I uh, ask that as we, in our, in our lives as a church, 4th Avenue, uh, as a congregation, that we can, we can learn from these wrestling matches that occur in Scripture with, within specific contexts like the church in Galatia. Lord, thank you for the work you've begun in, in this place. And I, I, uh, we just look forward to watching it uh, as you move toward completion with these Christians. Um, thank you for the Spirit. And may we live in step with the Spirit today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. <laughs>